Chapter Four, Part Two, of A Prince of Good Fellows. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Lars Rolander. A Prince of Good Fellows by Robert Barr. Chapter Four, Part Two. Before one of the three could move from the stool he occupied, they were set upon by the ruffians, and each sterling man found his ankles fastened together and his elbows tied behind his back with a speed that amazed him. "'Bless my soul!' moaned the poet. "'All this in broad daylight and in the king's dominion!' They were carried outside and flung thus helpless face downward on horses like so many sacks of corn each before a mounted man. Armstrong sprang upon his horse and led his men from the high road into the forest, his followers numbering something like a score. The captives from their agonizing position on the horses could see nothing of the way they were being taken, except that they journeyed on and on through dense woodland. They lost all knowledge of direction, and by and by came to the margin of a brawling stream, arriving at last much to their relief at a stronghold of vast extent situated on a beetling rock that overhung the river here the three were placed on their feet again and chattering women and children crowded round them but in no case was there a word of pity or an expression of sympathy for their plight the striking feature of the castle was a tall square tower which might be anything from seventy to a hundred feet in height, and connected with it were several stone buildings, some two stories and some three stories high. Round the castle in a wide irregular circle had been built a stout stone wall, perhaps twenty feet high, wide enough on the top for half a dozen men to walk abreast. The space enclosed was tolerably flat and large enough for a small army to exercise in. Leaning against the inside of this wall was an array of sheds, which provided stabling for the horses, and numerous stalls in which many cattle were lowing. The contour of the wall was broken by a gateway through which the troop and their captives had entered. The inlet could be closed by a massive gate, which now stood open, and by a stout portcullis that hung ready to drop when a lever was pulled. But the most gruesome feature of this robber's lair was a stout beam of timber which projected horizontally from the highest open window of the square tower. Attached to the further end of the beam was a thick rope, the looped end of which encircled the drawn neck of a man, whose lifeless body swayed like a leaden pendulum, helpless in the strong breeze. Seeing the eyes of the three directed to this pitiful object, Armstrong said to one of his men, "'Just slip that fellow's head from the nose, Peter. We may need the rope again to-night.' Then turning to his prisoners, Armstrong spoke like a courteous host, anxious to exhibit to a welcome guest the striking features of his domain. "'That's but a grisly sight, gentlemen, to contemplate on a lowering evening.' The day was darkening to its close, and a storm coming up out of the west was bringing the night quicker than the hour sanctioned. 
but here is an ingenious contrivance continued the freebooter cheerfully which has commanded the admiration of many a man we were compelled to hang you see there are so many meddlesome bodies in this world that a person like myself who wishes to live in peace with all his fellows must sometimes give the interferers a sharp bit lesson i can well believe it answered the king an englishman of great ingenuity had a plan for capturing us but as it stands we captured him and being a merciful man always loth to hang when anything else can be done i set him at work here and this is one of his constructions as it's growing dark come nearer that you may see how it works at the bottom of the tower and close to it there lay a wooden platform which afforded standing room for six or seven men Peter got up on this platform and pulled a cord which opened a concealed sluice-gate and resulted in a roar of pouring water. Gradually the platform lifted, and the king saw that it was placed on top of a tall pine-tree that had been cut in the form of a screw, the gigantic threads of which were well oiled. A whirling horizontal water-wheel, through the centre of which the big screw came slowly upwards, with Peter on the gradually elevating platform, formed the motive power of the contrivance. "'You understand the mechanism?' said Armstrong. "'By pulling one cord the water comes in on this side of the wheel, and the platform ascends. Another cord closes the sluice, and everything is stationary.' A third cord opens the gate which lets the water drive the wheel in the opposite direction, and then the platform descends. You see, I have taken away the old lower stairway that was originally built for the tower, and this is the only means of getting up and down from the top story. It does not, if you will notice, go entirely to the top, but stops at that door fifty feet from the rock into which Peter is now entering." it's a most ingenious invention admitted the king i never saw anything like it before it would be very useful in a place like stirling said johnny looking hard at his prisoner i suppose it would replied the king in a tone indicating that it was no affair of his but you see i'm not a stirling man myself i belong rather to all scotland a man of the world as you might say by this time peter had climbed to the highest room of the tower worked his way on hands and knees out to the end of the beam and had drawn up to him the swaying body with the deftness of expert practice he loosened the noose and the body dropped like a plummet through the air disappearing into the chasm below peter taking the nose with him crawled backward like a crab out of sight and into the tower again armstrong from below had opened the other sluice and the empty platform descended as leisurely and as tremblingly as it had risen armstrong himself cut the cords that bound the ankles of his captives now gentlemen he said if you will step on the platform i shall have the pleasure of showing you to your rooms three armed men and the three prisoners moved upwards together a fine sylvan view you have said the king is it not exclaimed armstrong seemingly delighted that it pleased his visitor after the mechanical device had landed them some fifty feet above the rocks they ascended several flights of stairs 
a man with a torch leading the way. The prisoners were conducted to a small room which had the roof of the tower for its ceiling. In a corner of the cell cowered a very abject specimen of the human race, who, when the others came, seemed anxious to attract as little attention as possible. Armstrong again, with his own hands, removed the remaining cords from the prisoners, and the three stretched up their arms, glad to find them at liberty once more. "'Place the torch in its holder,' said Johnny. "'Now, gentlemen, that will last long enough to light you to your supper, which you will find on the floor behind you. I am sure you will rest here comfortably for the night. The air is pure at this height, and I think you like this eagle's nest better than a dungeon under the ground. For my own part, I abhor the subterranean cell, and goodness knows I've been in many a one, but we are civilized folk here on the border, and try to treat our prisoners kindly. You must indeed earn their fervent gratitude, said the king. We should, we should, returned Johnny but I am not certain that we do. Man is a thrown beast, as a rule. And now you'll just think over your situation through the night, and be ready to answer me in the morning all the questions I ask of you. I'll be wanting to know who sent you here, and what news you have returned to him since you have been on the border. We will give your request our deep consideration, replied the king. I'm glad to hear that. You see, we are such merciful people that we have but one rope to hang our enemies with, while we should have a dozen by rights. Still, I think we could manage three at a pinch, if your answers should happen to displease me. You will excuse the bearing of the door, but the window is open to you if your lodgings are not to your liking. And so, good night, the three of you. Good night to you, Mr. Armstrong said the king. Peter had drawn in the rope, and its sinister loop lay on the floor, its further length resting on the window-sill, and extending out to the end of the beam. The cobbler examined it with interest. "'Come,' cried the king, "'there is little use letting a supper wait for the eating, merely because we seem to have gone wrong in our inquiries about the cattle.' Neither the poet nor the cobbler had any appetite for supper. But the king was young and hungry, and did justice to the hospitality of the Armstrongs. "'Have you been here long?' he asked of the prisoner in the corner. "'A good while,' answered the latter despondently. "'I don't know for how long they hanged my mate.' "'I saw that. Do they hang many hereabout?' "'I think they do,' replied the prisoner. Some fling themselves down on the rocks, and others are starved to death. You see, the Armstrongs go off on a raid, and there's no one here to bring us food, for the women folk don't like to tamper with that machine that comes to the lower stair. I doubt if Johnny starves them intentionally, but he's kept away sometimes longer than he expects. "'Bless me!' cried the king. "'Think of this happening in Scotland.' And now, cobbler, what are we to do? I'm wondering if this man would venture out to the end of the beam and untie the rope, suggested Fleming. Oh, I'll do that willingly, cried the prisoner. But what is the use of it? It's about ten times too short, as the Armstrongs well know. Are we likely to be disturbed here through the night? asked Fleming. 
oh no nor till late in the day to-morrow they'll be down there eating and drinking till all hours then they sleep long very well untie the other end of the rope and see you crawl back here without falling as the prisoner obeyed instructions fleming rose to his feet and began feeling in his pockets drawing forth at last a large brown ball what is your plan cobbler asked the king with interest well you see replied fleming the rope's short but it's very thick i don't see how that is to help us there are nine or ten strands that have gone to the making of it and i'm thinking that each of those strands will bear a man luckily i've got a ball of my cobbler's wax here and that will strengthen the strands keep the knots from slipping and make it easier to climb down cobbler cried the king if that lets us escape i'll knight you i care little for knighthood returned the cobbler but i don't want to be benighted here after such a remark as that your majesty exclaimed the poet i think you should have him beheaded if he doesn't get us out of this safely indeed sir david said the cobbler as he unwound the rope if i don't get you out of here the armstrongs will save his majesty all trouble on the score of decapitation there was silence now as the three watched the deft hands of the cobbler hurrying to make the most of the last rays of the flickering torch in the wall he tested the strands and proved them strong then ran each along the ball of wax thus cementing their loose thread together he knotted the ends with extreme care tried their resistance thoroughly and waxed them unsparingly it was a business of breathless interest but at last the snake-like length of thin rope lay on the floor at his disposal he tied an end securely to the beam just outside the window-sill so that there would be no sharp edge to cut the cord then he paid out the line into the darkness slowly and carefully that it might not become entangled there he said at last with a sigh of satisfaction who's first for the rope we three await your majesty's commands do you know the country hereabout asked the king of the man who had been prisoner longest every inch of it can you guide us safely to the north in the darkness oh yes once i'm down by the stream then said the king go down by the stream when you are on a firm footing say no word but shake the rope if you prove a true guide to us this night we'll pay you well i shall be well paid with my liberty replied the prisoner crawling cautiously over the stone sill and disappearing in the darkness the cobbler held the tout line in his hand no man spoke they hardly seemed to breathe until the cobbler said he's safe your majesty should go next the captain is the last to leave the ship said the king over you go fleming after the cobbler sir david descended followed by the king and they found at the bottom of the ravine some yards of line to spare their adventures through that wild night and the next day until they came to a village where they could purchase horses form a story in themselves when the king reached stirling and was dressed once more in a costume more suited to his station than that which had been torn by the brambles of the border he called to him the chief minister of his realm you will arrest immediately he said cockburn of henderland and adam scott of Tushilaw 
and have them beheaded with a trial your majesty asked the minister in amazement certainly not without trial but see that the trial is as short as possible their crime is treason the witnesses as many as you like to choose from our last council meeting i love and adhere to the process of law but see that there is no mistake about the block being at the end of your trial the minister made a note of this and awaited further instructions place the earl of bothwell in the strongest room that edinburgh castle has vacant imprison lord maxwell and lord home and the lairds of fernyhurst johnston and buckleigh in whatever stronghold is most convenient let these orders be carried out as speedily as possible the next man called into the royal presence was sir donald sinclair have you five hundred mounted men ready for the road sir donald yes your majesty a thousand if you want them very well a thousand i shall have and i shall ride with you to the border nevertheless when the king came to the inn where he had been captured there were but twenty troopers with him sir donald was the spokesman on that occasion he said to the landlord whose roving eyes was taking count of the number of horses go to johnny armstrong and tell him that the king with twenty mounted men at his back commands his presence here and see that he comes quickly johnny was not slow in replying to the invitation and forty troopers rode behind him the king sat on his horse a little in advance of his squadron as a mounted man james looked well and there was but little resemblance between him and the unfortunate drover who had been taken prisoner at that spot two short weeks before i have come promptly in answer to your majesty's call said armstrong politely removing his bonnet but making no motion to pay further deference to the king of scotland it gives me great pleasure to see you replied the king suavely you travel with a large escort mr armstrong yes your majesty i am a sociable man and i like good company the more stout fellows that are at my back the better i am pleased in this respect we are very much alike mr armstrong as you will admit if you but cast your eyes to the rear of your little company at this johnny armstrong violated a strict rule of royal etiquette and turned the back of his head to his king he saw the forest alive with mounted men their circle closing in upon him he muttered the word trapped and struck the spurs into his horse's flank the stung steed pranced in a semicircle answering his master's rein but the fence of mounted steel was complete every drawn sword a picket again armstrong laughing uneasily faced the king who still stood motionless your majesty has certainly the advantage of me as far as escort is concerned it would seem so replied james you travel with two score of men i with a thousand i have ever been a loyal subject of your majesty said armstrong moistening his dry lips i hope i am to take no scath for coming promptly and cordially to welcome your majesty to my poor district you will be better able to answer your own question when you have replied to a few of mine have you ever met me before mr armstrong the robber looked intently at the king i think not he said have you ever seen this man before and james motioned sir david lindsay from the troop at his side 
Armstrong drew the back of his hand across his brow. "'I seem to remember him,' he said, "'but cannot tell where I have met him.' "'Perhaps this third man will quicken your memory.' And the cobbler came forward, dressed as he had been the night he was captured. Armstrong gasped, and a greenish pallor overspread his face. "'What is your answer, Armstrong?' asked the king. "'I and my forty men will serve your majesty faithfully in your army if you grant us our lives.' "'No thieves ride with any of Scotland's brigade, Armstrong.' "'I will load your stoutest horse with gold until he cannot walk if you spare our lives.' "'The revenues of Scotland are sufficient as they are, Armstrong,' replied the king. "'Harry of England will be glad to hear that the King of Scotland has destroyed two score of his stoutest warriors.' "'The King of England is my relative, and I shall be happy to please him. The defence of Scotland is my care, and I have honest men enough in my army to see that it is secure. Have you anything further to say, Armstrong?' "'It is folly to seek grace at a graceless face.' If we are for the tree, then to the tree with us. But if you make this fair forest bear such woeful fruit, you shall see the day when you shall die for lack of stout hearts like ours to follow you, as sure as this day is the fatal thirteenth. The forty-one trees bore their burden, and thirteen years from that time the outlaw's prophecy was fulfilled. End of chapter 4, part 2 Read by Lars Rolander